0: Good morning and welcome. If you'll please uh, open your Bibles to Revelation 15. Well, we are more than halfway through the book of Revelation. I remember people are clamoring and clamoring for it to come and look where we are already. Uh, Revelation 15, uh, shortest chapter. In the book of Revelation. <clears throat> John writes, We begin now at this point to move into uh, a time of, of, of final time of judgment. And John says, I saw, then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name. They were standing on a sea of glass, having harps, the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. And for your judgments have been manifested. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven... Was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, and clothed in pure, bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands, that is, sashes. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls, seven golden bowls, uh, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke. From the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And with that, let's pray. You have to read that. You need to pray. (laughs) Lord, we bless you. And we are so thankful, Lord, that uh, you took care of our judgment on Calvary's cross. Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful that we don't have to endure, that we don't have to face, Lord, this terrible time that will surely and certainly come upon the world. And Lord, we uh, are, are thankful that, Lord, you've also redeemed us. And Lord, you've put a message in our hearts, Lord, to communicate. Lord, your saving grace and your mercy and your love uh, to those, Lord, that have not experienced that yet. For, Lord, in your grace and in your mercy, you are calling out today to many. And, Lord, we pray as the gospel is preached around our nation today, that, Lord, there be an ingathering. gathering that those who, Lord, don't know you as of yet, and their eternity is a question mark that you would settle that for them today, Lord, uh, that you would fill their hearts with the Holy Spirit, and Lord, give them that wonderful assurance of eternity, and also too, that they will not face this terrible time ahead. So Lord, as we consider these things, Lord, we pray uh, for the blessed Spirit of God to teach us. Lord, we realize that no matter where we turn in Scripture, Lord, you always have a word, Lord, for your children. And, Father, I pray that we'd have just open hearts. And, Lord, uh, also, too, Father, as we as we come to the communion table, Lord, we're grateful and honored that you invite us to that table, that you want to have communion and, and fellowship and, and relationship with us. We're truly blessed. And, Lord, as we conclude this, this um this week where we have as a nation, Lord, celebrated and declared, Lord, our independence. Lord, we want to thank you for the freedom that we have and that has come to us through Christ. We know that, Lord, that's the only true freedom. Lord, you said if the sun will set you free, you're free indeed. And so, Lord, we celebrate that. We celebrate what you have wrought for us, what you've done for us. And we do pray for our nation that once again, Lord, That the gospel will not be something uh, that people, Lord, mock or discard. But, Lord, it would be welcomed. Lord, it's the message, Lord, of eternal life. It's the only message of true, lasting hope. And so we praise you for that. And, Lord, we commit this time to you. I ask you to meet with us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, We entitled our message, The Sign Reads, Danger, Ahead, I think we've all seen signs like that, uh, as perhaps maybe we're driving along the road and there's an alert, or there's some kind of indication, or when we see the um, the uh, the police the policeman's vehicle ahead uh, and the lights are on, we know that uh, we better slow down. Uh, it's a little bit of a warning, and we find here in this chapter as well as we've been looking at through uh, the book of Revelation, there's been a number of warnings. Uh, we were in uh, New Jersey. Uh, a couple uh, weeks ago and uh, we were on Route 9 and uh, we went by a church that was on the corner and, uh, and I, I saw an interesting sign on this church that I've never kind of saw before um, and it really got me thinking. I, th- I, would, I would hope that uh, uh, anybody that would go by that sign would also to think maybe uh, that God is speaking to them and the sign basically said this, if you're looking for a sign from God here it is. Isn't that great? I mean, it's really simple. It's right to the point. If you're looking for a sign from God, here it is. And, of course, you know, as, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a preacher, I, I thought there would be, be something I would like to add to that. Uh, that would be, you know, come in, and find, come in and find the message God has for you or something, you know, like that. But it's interesting. When we look into the Bible, the Bible uses the word signed 140 times. Uh, sometimes it's used in a miraculous kind of way. Uh, sometimes it can be used in the sense of judgment. Uh, also, too, oftentimes, as we see in our chapter, it's used in the sense of warning. Uh, one of the, you know, I was thinking about this uh, as I was just contemplating on our message here this morning and, and the warnings that God has given us. Remember when we opened the book of Revelation, uh, there was a promise there that whoever read this book would receive a blessing. But when you think about it, a warning is a blessing. It's a blessing from God. Uh, it's, it's protective. Uh, it, it's designed to be preventative. Um, in a sense, like when we see the, the sign that says, you know, 55 miles an hour, and uh, we want to do 65. Or we wanna, isn't it amazing? You know, I don't care if, the, if, if the, the new speed limit was 80 miles an hour, people would want to go 90. That's just human nature, isn't it? And of course, I know that you always obey the traffic signs, right? There's not an offender in the place, okay? Yeah, of course, we've all failed miserably uh, when it comes, you know, to that. um, You know, whether we're in a 15-mile-an-hour speed zone or whether we're in a 55, wherever the case may be. But the interesting point about signs is that God has accommodated man all throughout history. He's accommodated their unbelief by giving them a sign. Uh, We see that even sometimes with the prophets, when God would give a sign, they wouldn't believe it. Uh, remember in the book of Isaiah, God gave King Ahab a sign, uh, and he simply would not believe it. And again, I think in signs, oftentimes, God is simply knowing the unbelief you know, that, that resides in the heart of humanity, that he reaches out to give us some kind of token, some kind of sign, some kind of indication, uh, some kind of warning of what's ahead, because he's gracious, he, he's merciful, he wants us to heed you know, his you know his word, and, and when he's speaking to us, when he's uh, when he's, uh, you know talking to us. But it seems to be there's just simply an unwillingness uh, in the in, in, in the heart. There's an unwillingness, oftentimes, um, you know, to accept you know the truth of God or the word of God or an indication, some kind of sign, uh, relative to the future. Sometimes, <clears throat> I think maybe uh, like God, you know, may speak to humanity in some kind of way, and then it comes to pass. I think oftentimes, you know, our parents growing up. They've spoken to us, and they've kind of, in a sense, prophesied to us that if you do this and that, this is what's going to happen. And, and we call that when <clears throat> there's disobedience, a school of hard knocks, right? We got any scholars in the school of hard knocks out there? Okay. I think all of us, to some degree, haven't. We've had to learn the hard way. Um, and something comes true that maybe a teacher, you know, or a coach, or our parent uh, has basically warned us, you know, about that. And, of course, we have to consider Israel as we, you know, we see the record of Israel uh, as God, you know, time and time again warned them, spoke to them. uh, They received a multitude of signs. As a matter of fact, Paul says um, over in Corinthians that the Jews, uh, their mentality was that they just, they they required a sign. They almost demanded a, a sign. And it's interesting, too, that not only did God give them the greatest sign, that God came himself. That that he walked in their midst, he healed, he fed thousands, he walked on water, he raised people from the grave, uh, and yet we find what happened: uh, he was nailed to a cross. Um, and, and so we see, you know, what what can you know what can be, you know, that that attitude, that rebellion, that unbelief that can reside within the human heart. And of course, we know as we, you know, as we read the Bible, we oftentimes we picture ourselves, and God designs it that way. You know, we see these these individuals, and they're 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 real folks, uh, experiencing you know their trials and their situation, um, and and God is simply saying, you know, as we read their lives, that this you know this could happen, and so many times I've been warned, um, I've been reproved. Uh, I've been spoken to as I've read the Bible and I've seen myself in the pages of Scripture. And I've always and, you know, we like to see ourselves in hero hero type uh, uh, scenarios, right? Or the good guy. But sometimes I've seen myself in the bad guy. Um, And uh, because of, you know, what I know, it's, you know, the thing that can be, you know, in my heart. Uh, And that's a beautiful thing about the Bible. God shows us you know, the lives of other individuals so that we might take a lesson from them. We might learn something from them and realizing what is in our heart that we might turn to the true uh, and to the living God. Now, in chapter 15, we see here it's introduced basically by another sign uh, because there's been a series of signs here in this book of Revelation. And, uh, and, and what we've considered thus far in, in detail has been You know, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God. I was kind of thinking about it. You know, gobs of grace, mountains of mercy, piles of patience. You know, when it comes to the Lord and his mercy and his grace uh, as he deals with people. And I think as we see that, understand that, we need to have that too. You know, grace is something important that as a believer, uh, that we apprehend that. Uh, That we're not just rigid uh, judgmental, legalistic kind of people. That can happen. We, uh, we we, know sometimes a believer where that's happened to, and it's very hard to be around that kind of individual. You know, when we see the grace of God in Scripture, we realize that God wants to also place that grace, you know, within our lives. And we realize it, and he has, but we realize that we need more grace, don't we? Uh, it, it's very easy, you know, in our humanity uh, to look at people, to, uh, you know, to assess them and to judge them wrongly. Uh, I, think, I think when that's happening, when we have that kind of attitude, when we're critiquing people, you know, God has a way of just exposing, you know, our own weakness. You know, whenever I'm judging someone else, it's amazing how the Lord shows me something, you know, about my own heart and about my own life. And, uh, and it softens me. It, it, it has a way, a wonderful way, as we understand the grace of God. It has that softening effect you know, within our lives, how we, you know, how we interact and interface with other people, how we treat other people. Uh, The grace of God is important that it's a continual uh, thing at work in our lives so that we're loving people, that the love of God is coming through our lives. Now, it says here uh, in verse uh, 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, uh, seven angels having the seven last plagues, and in them the wrath of God is complete. Now what we see what we're seeing here, is that judgment must come. Uh, remember, God is not ever never whimsical or capricious. He has warned sufficiently. Uh, he has been warning now, as he has been giving opportunities to, to come to him, to turn one's life over to him. He has been giving opportunities for the last 2,000 years. But eventually judgment must come because he's a God of justice. He is a God of justice. So it's important. Remember, this is his, this is his world. This is his creation. We are his creation. You know, it's amazing sometimes when we, when sometimes people will not give God enough latitude uh, when it comes to the whole idea of judgment, they forget the fact of the matter, he's a just God. He's not only a loving God, but he's a perfectly just God. It's, you know, when you sometimes see, uh, you know, somebody, just let, let me use an example here of somebody Um, who's had a loved one who has been maybe perhaps raped and murdered. Uh, The cry of their hearts is what? Justice. You know, so they they go to the judge, they go to the courts, and and hopefully. um, And so, you know, the the, the, the trial takes place, uh, the verdict is given, um, and this person now is either in life imprisonment or they have to pay the ultimate price by giving their life, you know, for their capital crime kind of a thing. When that happens, uh, there's somewhat, somewhat of relief because the thing about justice is, is justice, justice is basically respect for the, for the offended party. Uh, it, it's, it's an attempt to give equity to the offended party. Uh, and it's never perfect because how can, you know, say if somebody has a lost loved one, how can you replace that? But, but hopefully there's some type of justice. And when you think about it, because of the rebellion of man, God is that offended party. And he's a just God. When you think about the sin and the rebellion of the human, of the human race against God, and against and it's interesting too because it's not only against God, that, that when sin takes place and begins to you know, overpower a person's life, it has impact in the lives of those around them. And when that happens... When that happens, God has to bring justice. And you see, once again, we have a reminder in this whole thing of judgment, in this whole thing of wrath, uh, when we look at what God has done for us through the cross, that he has taken this wrath. And when someone doesn't want to take that offer of, of, of pardon through the cross, they will have to ultimately face the wrath of God. And so when we, when we understand this whole matter of wrath, we have to also, too, bring the cross in here. Because when people don't understand the, the purpose of salvation and the cross and what God did, that he took his wrath upon his son, or really upon himself, as a second person of the Trinity. A lot of people don't understand that. They don't realize you know, what the gospel is all about. I think that's important for us you know, as we understand the gospel, to communicate that to people. Because when they hear about the judgment or the wrath of God, oh! you know, they all go nuts. Uh, you know, God's a monster, and, and look, what he's, you know, look what he's attempting to do, and all that sort of thing. And the fact of the matter is God is perfectly just. He's, perfectly, he's perfect love. He's perfect mercy. He, he's perfect kindness. And that's why Paul said in, in the second chapter of Romans, verse 5, that we understand the kindness of God that it brings us to repentance. And, and I, really, that's our job, in a sense, to communicate that to a lost world. As we've experienced this kindness, as we've experienced this grace and this salvation, because they hear little snippets, and oftentimes when they hear certain you know, portions of the Bible um, and little you know, pieces here and there, uh, they have a way of just, you know, it's taken out, often, usually taken out of context, uh, and so they make their judgment upon that, and in the stereotypical idea so often of God is the wrong idea. They don't see him as, you know, a, a kind and gracious, a merciful father, you know, working to bring us, you know, the, his, the, his erring children to bring us into relationship uh, with himself. And I think, too, another big issue is, isn't the definition of sin in the hearts of my, minds of men skewed? because you can't really understand it because sin blinds and until that we're redeemed and regenerated can we understand the power of sin when you when you talk to people about the power of sin uh, they don't really know what you're, you're talking about we know that you know we we've experienced you know because of our own weaknesses our own vulnerabilities and as a believer we can put ourselves in you know, back into some sinful activity and realize how powerful it was. We didn't realize that, you know, before we knew Christ, before you know, before we walked with Him. You know, we thought a sinner was Ah Adolf Hitler, you know, or some heart, some murderer. Uh, but nobody else really, you know, nobody, nobody else is really capable. Uh, and that's why so often, when when people look at, you know, people that have committed those crimes, they tend to look down on them because they're self righteous. They think, well, I'm not a sinner. Uh, you committed, you, you know, you, you robbed a bank. You know, you, you perpetrated this terrible crime. You're a nasty person. And so there's a, there's a, there's a uh, because of the blindness uh, in the human heart, uh, there's, a, there's a self-righteousness there, that I'm better than you. I'm just better than you because I don't do all those nasty kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, uh, there's going to be good people that are going to be in hell. And they're so good, they thought they didn't need God. They don't need Him in their life. And the fact is, we need Him. <laughs> we were saying that a moment ago about how important it is that we, we need Him. And I'll tell you what, the, more, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you realize that you need Him. I knew I needed Him, you know, 40 years ago, however many years ago it was, 1975. <laughs> I realized I needed Him then. But you know something? I, I believe I need Him more now. And it's a, it's a wonderful revelation, isn't it? To know you know how you know, David speaks about that. and David sometimes writes a psalm, and he's a king. He's a king. And, and then yet through the psalm, he'll say so many times, I'm needy. Oh, Lord, look on me. I'm needy. And I'll tell you what, that's a great place to be. Because when we realize our neediness, our, our emptiness, or our particular barrenness, it, it makes us cry out to him for his fullness. Because God loves to dispense out to you and me that which we need, that which we lack. That, that's what our relationship is all about, in a sense. He's the vine, we're the branches. The branch cannot live one day. Um, doing some, some yard work um, over the last couple of weeks, and, uh, and it's amazing how when you cut off that branch off the tree, how quickly things just wither. And when we're separated from him in any kind of way, our life has withered. And we need him. We need that life-giving sap. That, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Sort of like a, a life-giving sap, you know, to flow in and through our life. Now, he says here, <clears throat> I saw something like a sea, mingle with, uh, a sea of glass mingle with fire, and those who have victory... Uh, over the beast, uh, over his image, his mark, uh, over the number of his name, and here they're all standing on the sea, and they have the harps of God. Now, these are those who were martyred uh, during the second part of the tribulation. Remember, we talked about last week, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Uh, In other words, blessed are those who die in Christ, but that's also true for anybody who ever dies in Christ. Amen? That there's a wonderful blessing, but these are those who gave their life. they sacrificed their life. They wouldn't take what? The, the mark of the beast. And what I like here, <coughs> interesting uh, in this verse two, is these are those who have victory over. And it, and it says, four different times, they have victory over. Uh, just as they had, <coughs> excuse me, just as they had victory, over their temptations, you and I as well can have victory over our temptations. You know, whatever it is, victory over our weakness. You know, victory in our struggle. Whatever the case may be, um, you know, when you think about victory, I, I was um, just thinking of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen. It might be verse uh, fifty-eight or something of that particular nature. But Paul reminds us there that the victory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God has been transferred to whoever will believe. There's a victory that we have in him. It's not a victory, you know, in the world, in the things of the world. It's a spiritual victory. It's a victory that that comes into our life as we're trusting him, as we're obeying him, as we're walking with him. Because see, as a believer, I can still lie. I'm still very capable of lying to try to get ahead or try to work things out in my own particular wisdom, but I'm not really walking in any kind of victory. But you see, when you and I are walking in the victory of Jesus Christ, there's a wonderful peace. There's a peace that passes all understanding that comes, you know, it just comes into our life. It's just simply there. And when even as a believer, we're trying to work things out in the arm of the flesh, there's no peace to that, there's no rest. And I know that we've all experienced that to some degree. And hopefully that when that takes place, we don't stay in that. We get back into that place. We get back into under that umbrella of the victory of Christ. Where we're walking, obeying, trusting, serving, allowing him to lead us and guide us, uh, and direct us. It's always the cross that, that has brought us always that, that redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And that's why also Jesus said this. Um, that we're to take up our cross daily. You see, God wants you and me, a very important ingredient of, of this victory is living sacrificially. You know, living, I was watching a, a Star Wars movie, and uh, one, of the, one of the Jedis were explaining to uh, this other official uh, that what a Jedi was, because this other official was saying, well, Jedis are, are, are selfish. And he was a Jedi, and he was saying, no, they're not selfish. They're basically, they're, you know, their whole purpose of a Jedi is to live for others. And I thought that was an interesting kind of, you know, interesting kind of tape because you don't kind of see that ever really, you know, uh, communicated uh, normally in movies. Um, and, and really, I think, you know, perfect example of what a believer is to be. We are to live sacrificially. You know, we're to live for Christ. Life becomes very boring and mundane when you and I are simply living for ourselves. Now, here's the thing. Remember Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6 uh, that when we seek his kingdom first, that he'll take care of all the other things. In other words, when we're living for the Lord and living to be a blessing other, God's going to take care of us. And the only thing that offsets that for you and me is fear. Whenever it comes to sacrificing ourselves, whether it's our resources or whether it's our time, there, there's always this tension there. Will there be enough for me? <laughs> and then we find out when we do that, yes, there's more than enough. There's more than enough. You know, it's interesting that when water stays in a hose, it, it takes on a certain kind of poison uh, from, the, from the hose that surrounds it. That's why uh, they always, parents always tell their kids, don't drink out of a hose. At least, you know, uh, let it run clean first before you drink through it. And, and I was thinking about, you know, our lives. Uh, our lives kind of, they become sort of like poison-like. Um, when, when, we're, when, the, when the Spirit of God and the water of God is not moving through our lives. He's designed that. He's designed us simply not to be a um, reservoir, but a conduit. And it's as we, you know, open our lives and allow him to flow through us and move through us. We're satisfied. We're refreshed. And it's only as we get caught up in ourselves, that's where the problem comes. Now, verse 3, because of the victory that that, had, that they have experienced. And of course, I think this, the victory... You know, they're, they're, they're basically, you know, they're, they're thanking God for what he's done for them. They're singing here in verses 3 uh, and verses 4. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, do you realize these are the first and last songs in the Bible? The song of Moses is in Exodus 15. The song of the Lamb is the last song that we have. Interesting that they're singing these particular songs. And it's great and marvelous are your works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And so here they're singing because they perfectly understand what God has wrought for them, what the Lord has done for them. I think that's an ongoing revelation in this life. I, I know I, in a far greater way, appreciate the work of redemption and what Christ has done for me now than when I was first saved. I mean, I was thankful and I was blessed when I was first saved, but I have a greater understanding and because I have a greater understanding of what he's done for me over, the, over these years, I have a greater appreciation You know, the fact of the matter is, Paul says, you know, that we look in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. And I think that, you know, when we're in heaven, because a lot of times, you know, presently right now, um, you know, a lot of folks, you know, a lot of Christians that can be glum, they can be sad, they can be struggling in their difficulty. But, you know, when we get to heaven, um, I would only think that we're going to be doing nothing but shouting and singing. And, And just worshiping. And grateful and honored to be there. You know, this side of heaven, you know, we are going to cry. We're going to lose our song. We're going to lack insight and understanding. But then, like Corinthians says, we're going to see face to face and it's going to be nothing but rejoicing uh, and blessing. Now, notice what they sing in this song here. Notice the pronouns. Not about themselves, it's all about Him, it's not about any of their achievements. But, but it's simply a rejoicing, a, a gratitude, an overflow of what the Lord has wrought for them. They're doing nothing but worship, worshiping. And, and also, too, you have to notice there's a, a wonderful absence of complaint. <laughs> Let me warn you against complaining. Don't go down that road. Do you ever notice how easy it is when you get around complaining people? Sometimes complaints just sort of appeal to our human nature. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing how easy we can get negative. We can be rejoicing and praising the Lord got up and had a great morning. You get to work and all of a sudden the grumbling starts. And be careful. Be careful you don't go down that road because you can get into a pattern. It's easy, I think, to get into a, 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 a negative pattern about griping, grumbling, complaining, you know, criticizing. And before you know it, uh, you know, you're just, you, you, be, you look at everything through that grid. And we know people. It doesn't, we have to go very far in this world where we find people that that's their MO. And sometimes when you have to work close to those kind of people, it it uh, it's it's difficult you know we've got so much to, to thank god about you know to, to praise god i remember one I, there was a brother one time he was a, he was a uh, a worker in a big corporation and at the time he was making something and this was years ago at the time he was making something like you know with his benefits 50 bucks an hour and i think at the time i would have been making like maybe 15 <laughs> And I heard this litany of complaints and the, the um, protest that, you know, they were going to do. And I'm thinking, man, we've got so much to be grateful, to be thankful for. You know, we think about Thanksgiving and praise God for Thanksgiving. But, you know, Thanksgiving needs to be something all the time for you and me. It, it really needs to be a way of life. Because, it's, again, it is. It's really too easy to get caught up in, in the negativity, you know, of our world and all the griping and all the things uh, that are out there. And so, anyway, in this song, it's really all about him. You know, all about what he has done. And I'll tell you what, when we stand before him, we're going to realize, it's all going to make perfect sense. It's all going to make perfect sense. Because then we're going to have full, a full apprehension, a full understanding. Because, again, we, we, we see through a mirror dimly. We don't have a full understanding. We, sometimes a negative traumatic thing can take place in a person's life. And that one traumatic event defines the rest of their life. Irrespective of all the good things that have taken place in their life to that point. That one negative traumatic event takes place. And I'm not, I'm not <coughs> diminishing some of the difficult things Yes, these kind of things do happen to us. They do hurt. They wound us. But by the grace of God, that we can we can move beyond those things. We can trust Him. You know to help us, to guide us, to, to bind up the wounds. I, it's so sad. I've known I've known folks that have been defined by, you know, traumatic experiences or even sometimes a singular event, and. Uh, doesn't need to be for the child of God. Now he draws, when we move to verse five, he draws our attention back to verse one. Uh, and and, and we're, lo- we're looking at now the seven angels with the seven final uh, disasters. <clears throat> and remember what angels are. Uh, they're God's ministers, they're, they're his servants. They do his bidding, they, they do his work. We see that, the Bible reveals that to us. And here they are. And so after these things, he says, I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Um, and out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, and clothed in pure, bright linen, and having their chest girded with golden bands. Now, what is interesting here, and perhaps as we read this, uh, you reflect, do you reflect back on the Old Testament priests and the way they were dressed? And that's what we're seeing here. This is, the, this is a picture of the heavenly temple. Remember Moses went on the Mount of Sinai? And God said to him, I want, you to, I want you to write down exactly what you see, exactly what you've been instructed to write down. And what we're seeing here, what we saw in the Old Testament priesthood in the temple is a reflection of what John is telling us right here in this particular, uh, this particular heavenly scene. Now here are these angels in verse 6. They emerge out of the Holy of Holies. You know, each one has a different, and we're going to see the bowls next week in chapter uh, 16. Each one has a different type of judgment. Uh, and each one of these are so incredibly severe. Now, in there's these are the final judgments that are going to be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Have you ever known anyone who has been caught up in a very ungodly or a wicked lifestyle? And maybe you've talked to them. Perhaps you have not only talked to them, you've prayed for them. And you prayed for them to come to a place where they would turn to God. They, came to, they would come to a place where they would simply repent. And they didn't. And have you ever had this thought, what will it take? I know a lot of people in my life. Most of them are family. I pray for them. And, and I look at what they've had to endure, the adversity, just incredible. And you keep asking when you see those kind of situations, you know, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for that person to come to Christ? And yet we find that this is how, this is what sin can do to the heart. Sin can so harden the heart. That's why the Bible uh, instructs us. You know, that, uh, that we, need to, we need to always have a repentant heart. We need to be ready to turn to the Lord. And here, even at this point, we're going to find that people, with all these things taking place, they're going to refuse this gift of salvation. You know, the fact of the matter is some people just don't want God. There are some people that they just do not want God. And, and yet... Even for those people, God is gracious. He created them for a relationship with Himself. They just don't know that. See, that, that's what sin can do. It can so distort and blind and, and damage a person where they don't realize that the greatest gift, an eternal gift, the gift of salvation, awaits for them, is they will simply open up their life to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I thank God for his patience and for his mercy. Like the man I was sharing with you a few weeks ago, 93 years old. And yet his name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. Yet for 93 years, he said no. <laughs> God, you're awesome. God, you're, you're, just, you're just absolutely incredible. We just don't have that kind of patience with people only as the lord fills our heart with it right only with our as the lord fills our heart with forgiveness for people our love for people you know so often we so often we talk about you know a mother's love and that's a precious thing that that's a beautiful thing it's a great demonstration of mother's love but you know that same kind of love god wants to put in every heart <laughs> as as we open our heart to him as we allow the love of God, you know, Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He talks about the, the love of God being poured out, shed abroad, poured out, you know, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And see, that, that, that can happen for anyone. But we have to be open to the Holy Spirit, amen. We have to do to, it to, uh, to the best of our ability make sure there isn't anything in our lives that, that's hindering, you know, that wonderful, that wonderful flow of God coming into us and coming through us. Because there's something so radical about the love of Christ. When it touches someone's life, I would, you know, when it touched my life in 1975, it, it, uh, it, was, it was the most wonderful thing, you know, that, that uh, I've ever experienced. And there's a lot of people out there that they've been, they've, they've been, they've been wounded. They've been hurt. Their, their lives are empty. They, they grow up in, in dysfunctional families, and they don't really know. They don't really know that, that, that awesome love of God. So we're not a reservoir. We're to be a conduit, a conduit through which he reaches out to touch these people uh, that are simply, you know, around us. Now, finally, in verses 7 and 8, uh, the creature that we find here in verse 7 is one of the seraphim, seraphim that we, disc, we saw over in chapter 4. And remember, they stand in the presence of God. And what are they doing? Saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, uh, who was and is and is to come. And uh, it says they have no rest day and night. And you read that and you think, Wow. I don't know. I don't think I could do that. I know I couldn't do that. But they can. They're, they're special. They're, they're creatures. They're angels. They're seraphim. Um, and they're, they're created for this. And you know, whatever God creates you and me to do as well, He'll enable you to do it. You know, oftentimes, uh, in you know, serving God and in, in, in working for God, I've discovered my own incredible insufficiency and inadequacy. But you know, I also discovered his sufficiency, his adequacy, his empowerment in the face of, you know, my inability. Our, gro- our God, who, 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 I forget where the verse is, our God is able. He's able to accomplish his purpose for you. For each one of you he's got a purpose he's got a plan and sometimes you know I think people oftentimes you know we're always calling for workers and servants and helpers and that sort of thing and and I think people I, I think a lot of folks um, um, you know I'm thankful for all the servants that we have but I, th- I think sometimes there can be a tendency to hold back because I feel like I'm not capable you know I, I don't have the ability but you know, when you step forward, if God's calling you and you're hearing his voice and you feel a prompting, but yet you feel uh, incapable, inadequate, insufficient, all those things, you step forward and you realize that God just, man, he just comes in. He comes in, he enables you, and he empowers you. He puts, in a sense, he puts wind in your sails. And if maybe you're praying about maybe taking a step of faith and uh, whatever that might be, um, or some area of service, or you know, uh, something that you feel prompted the Lord wants you to do. I, I want to encourage you: do it. You know, do it, and the grace of God, you'll find will wonderfully come in and minister and help you uh, in in that particular situation. Now, verse seven and eight: one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of god and his power and no one was able to enter till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed what do you think that means when it says no one was able to enter basically it means repentance is no longer possible we're at that point in the tribulation and when you think about it and it's interesting because when you look up in verse 5 the temple still opened but now the door is closed let me tell you repentance is such an awesome gift a wonderful gift to be able to and it's just simply this to turn to turn to turn away from my way our way and to turn to him and to find his grace his open arms To find forgiveness and cleansing (laughs) is so wonderfully awesome. And and the smoke here that we find is basically, the the entire scene is filled with it. Uh, It's referred to as the Shekinah. The Shekinah, and it basically is a picture here of the glory of God. It's the visible glory of God taking place. And, And when the temple was on earth, there was a, a glory cloud a Shekinah above the temple above the tabernacle above the temple and if you remember Isaiah the prophet saw it he experienced it I mean what would it be like you ever think you know sometimes you think about what it would be what it would it been like to walk with Jesus what, what it would what it would have been like to be there on the day of Pentecost what it would it be like if the Lord appeared to us personally Turn to Isaiah 6. We're going to close with this. I think God's people over history have been affected, you know, by this idea, like Moses said over in the book of Exodus, Lord, show me your glory. I mean, he was, seven, he was what, 40, 40 days you know, up in the mount, you know, with God and, you know, um, so much so that when he came, came down from the presence of God, his face was just, you know, just emanating with the glory of God, reflecting the glory of God. And I've, when I've read that verse, oftentimes I said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Isaiah in chapter 6 and a few verses here. He said this happened, this took place. Uh, in the year that uh, King Uzziah died, a good king, king of Judah, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train, the train of his robe filled the temple, and, it, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, the two he covered his face, the two he covered his feet, the two he flew. And one cried to another and said, and these again, uh, takes his takes us to uh, Revelation chapter 4. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And you know what? That's going to happen again. That's going to happen again when Jesus Christ takes residence on His throne in Jerusalem. And the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And the posts of the door were shaken or moved uh, by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. The visible presence of God. And here's his reaction to that. To the presence of God. And so I said, woe is me for I am undone. Which is interesting because up to this point in the previous chapter, he has said woe to everything. Seven different times, woe to this and woe to that. But now he sees God. He says, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see what happens is, and that happens for us today in Christ. When we see him, when we draw near to him, we begin to see ourselves for what we really are. We see him for who he is. You know, I try to keep my car clean. I go to car wash all the time, and I've always kind of washed my cars. But when I'm going down the highway and I'm heading into the sunset, and all of a sudden I look at my windshield that I thought was clean. like, whoa, have I ever cleaned that windshield? Because we're looking at it in the light of the the sun, the brightest light in the universe. (laughs) And when you and I come into the presence of God, we not only see him in his beauty and his holiness, But we understand so much more about ourselves. We can't help but to see our imperfections. And it's not like God's, you know, pointing the big bony finger at us (laughs) and the hairy eyeball. Just being in his presence. We realize who we are. We understand how needy we are. We understand very simply that that I'm a sinner. (laughs) Lord, I need your grace. I I need your your mercy. Lord, I need your favor. Lord, I want to be like you. When that happens, I think there's all kinds of revelation, insight. One of the things that happens for me is when I really connect like that. Is that I just feel so broken. and clean because I come I come to him I say lord lord I'm sorry lord forgive me lord cleanse me whatever 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 I'm sensing you know in my life and you know the next thing that happened for Isaiah he was commissioned <laughs> it says it says here that one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. You see, we don't need an angel. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we see here here basically in type, it's pointing us to the cross (laughs) and to what Jesus Christ has done for us and so with that thought I'm going to ask the the ushers to distribute the elements and if there's anything this morning in your life an attitude some area of inconsistency some weakness that's manifested itself again some area of struggle Let's give it to him. Let's turn it over to him. The, the, The fact is we find we can't work these things out on our own. But the power and the grace of God will wonderfully come in and buoy us up. And if this morning your salvation, your relationship with God is a question mark, settle that. As you receive these elements, say to the Lord, Lord, come into my life. Because that's what, in a sense, um, these emblems are. They're emblems of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you need to do that, do that personally before the Lord. Salvation's free. It's a wonderful gift. It's a gift that's eternal. and It's a gift that's transformational this side of heaven. Let's worship. And Lord, we thank you for the cross. We realize, Lord, it uh, is the mercy seat of the Old Testament tabernacle. And Lord, because of the cross and your sacrifice, Lord, you're taking the punishment, the judgment, the wrath of God for whosoever would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we'll never experience these judgments that we read about in Revelation. And Father, I want to pray for each of us here this morning. Lord, we look to you afresh. And we are thankful, Lord, that we can come. We can come. We can confess. We can offer up, Lord, to you not just our praise, but, Lord, our problems. Lord, our sins, our iniquities. Lord, we can give to you our trials, our struggles. Give to you, Lord, our pain, our wounds. Whatever it is, Lord, that is a dominant feature, Lord, right now in our lives, our hearts and minds. Lord, these things are too big for us, but they're not too heavy for your shoulders. So, Lord, by faith, we look to you. By faith, Lord, we give you ourselves. We give you these things. And we ask, Lord, in their place that, Lord, we might have freedom and cleansing, that, Lord, we might have peace and rest. So, Lord, we again thank you. And we, as we partake of these elements, we also pray that you would fill us afresh. Lord, fill us, we pray, with your spirit, with life. Lord, remove the things, Lord, in our hearts and minds, Lord, that are not pleasing to you, and put a passion, Lord, a fresh new desire. Lord, your spirit is a holy spirit. There's this reading of the seraphim, Lord, crying out before you night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, may your holiness invade our lives. And Lord, may we give you glory. May we bring you praise. May we honor you with all that we do. Let us partake of the bread and the cup. God bless you all. Let's rise.